Wow, I, I realize I am in the shadow of giants uh, here as I'm among you today. I mean, God is doing a wonderful work in your community. I actually grew up about three miles from here, uh, just near Woodside Road, um, and it, it, it's so... Uh, encouraging to see a Christ-centered witness on uh, a community on mission, transforming communities, transforming the community that I grew up in, that my parents still live in. So thank you uh, for your ministry. And Pastor Herman has been a dear friend, as he mentioned, you know, we prayed together for 25 years, starting in Boston. And uh, he's been a role model for me, a mentor for me, a colleague and a dear friend. And Pastor Aaron also, I just have to say, um, Pastor Aaron is a leader in, 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 who's been a part of Transforming Community in Seattle for over a decade, uh, served at Mount Zion Baptist Church as senior pastor, head of staff, and has been working right now with the mayor of the city and with the, uh, hired the police uh, chief, uh, SPD, it's, which is under a consent decree, and federal consent decree, and was working towards justice and policing to keep our communities uh, safer. So thank you, Pastor Aaron, for being here and uh, sharing with us. And we want, we're taking notes everywhere we go on what you're doing, because uh, you you're doing great things, so thanks for that. Well, uh, we're coming up uh, on the anniversary of a tragedy uh, two years ago in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, we had a crisis in America, and I want to show you an image of that that's uh, quite violent, and so if you're sensitized to violence, you, you might want to avert your eyes for just a moment, but I suspect some of you have already seen this. In 2018, Ryan Kelly won a Pulitzer Prize for this image. How many of you have seen this? Is this you in the news and the internet? You, this is a horrible, horrible picture. And uh, this is a picture of a city when it falls apart. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And if you look carefully at that, you'll see the, uh, the stop signs there. Look, the law is falling apart. It's breaking down. It's not, not doing anything. No one's stopping. Right? The irony is obvious. You see Black Lives Matters. You see a banner there that says love. Look, love is breaking down. Love's not stopping. And you remember Heather Heyer will lose her life in this incident. <clears throat> so this is, a, this is a snapshot of a city that's devolving into lawlessness, lovelessness, lifelessness. And yet, the Washington Post said, we will look back on this, this very image and declare it the icon of our moment. That this picture is the defining picture for our moment in American history. You know how different generations have, there's the flag of Iwo Jima, and there's the um, space launch, and the pictures of Apollo that we've been seeing, and the, the twin towers. Each of these seem in some way to define a generation and a moment in time. This is our moment, and it's so tragic. So my question to us today is, what would people of goodwill do to respond to this? You're all people of goodwill. You wouldn't be here this morning. And whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ uh, or not, uh, we're all on this journey. We'd all sure like to see this change. So <clears throat> the question's been asked many times in many ways throughout the centuries. Circumstances are slightly different. But I want to take you back in time, way back in time, to a man named Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah not only had the question, he had an answer. Wow. He had the Lord's answer. 
So let's open up our Bibles. I know we'll have it on screen if you didn't bring it, but navigate over there in your device if you'd like to follow along to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. And I understand it is your practice to honor the living center of the written word by standing as we worship Jesus together. When, and here's what we do in Seattle. I'll say when I'm done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it or are coming to believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy word. By the way, Jeremiah is talking about a letter that he writes from Jerusalem to exiles in Babylon. Here we go. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That's the courier, carries the letter. Now, here's the letter. It said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. By the way, there were prophets who said the, the exile would be over in six years. They were saying, this is not your problem. Hold your breath. Keep your head down. This too shall pass. Don't worry about it. The Lord's saying something very different through Jeremiah. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places from where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. <clears throat> the great African-American poet Langston Hughes wrote a beautiful song called uh, The City. It's a poem. And I'd love for you to engage your imagination and, and, and just imagine waking up in this city. Here's what he writes. In the morning, the city spreads its wings, making a song in stone that sings. In the evening, 
the city goes to bed, hanging lights above its head. Well, in the year 597 BC, people who should be waking up in Jerusalem are waking up in Babylon. Exiles. And to these people who are waking up in the wrong city, Jeremiah the prophet writes a letter. He, he writes the letter in Jerusalem and he sends it to Babylon. Now, let me step back for just a moment and help you recall the history of this moment, Israel's history. You'll remember it really began with Abraham. And Abraham came along 2000 BC, rough numbers. God made to Abraham a promise and he gave him a blessing. And he said, I promise to give you a, a, a people family who become a nation and a land and most of all a blessing I promise that this nation Israel will be blessed to bless all the other nations to bless us isn't it interesting that we're worshiping in a synagogue that was 2000 BC and then a thousand years later uh, Saul the first king of Israel comes along and he's the first king and then there's David and a series of kings in Israel 400 years we have monarchy. This is the fulfillment of the promise. There was, in fact, a great people. There was, in fact, a nation. And there was, in fact, land. And they were a blessing. 400 years go by, though, and we have Jeremiah, who was a prophet. God called to say, you know, you're turning away from me. <laughs> you're not receiving the blessing. You're not sharing the blessing. And if, unless this changes, you will lose the land. And you'll go into exile, which is in fact what happened. So in 597 BC, there's the first deportation. The Babylonians come invading and they take away 10,000 uh, people from Jerusalem. And they're the leaders, they're the artisans, they're the smith, the priests, and so forth. And we read that. The, it was kind of a brain, a brain drain. It's a decapitation strategy. If we take the elites out of Jerusalem, the Babylonians think we'll have control over the, all the people. And so a number of them go, and these are the folks that are now going to be waking up in Babylon over this 10-year period until 587 when finally the, the armies of Babylon will come and destroy Judah. 80% of the villages and towns will be completely destroyed. Archaeologists tell us this today. Devastating moment of destruction. Inside of those 10 years, the Lord has a message for his people, and I believe it's for us as well. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future. Let me say something to you this morning. I have three points I want to make. It's fairly simple. I have the gift of taking a simple thing and making it complicated, by the way. It's my gift to you. I'm trying real hard to make this simple. (laughs) But this is a little bit bold, and it may take you a second to embrace it. Brother and sister, you have lost a city. You have lost a city. I'm suggesting to you that you are in exile as well. well. Okay, hold on to that for a second. Let me, let me explain that. Here's my definition of an exile. An exile is someone who's lost their place at home. Let me say that again. An exile is somebody who's lost their place at home. You may still be at home, but you don't have your place at home. Or home isn't what it used to be anymore. 
It's not the same home, okay? If that's you, you are an exile. Look, Jerusalem is home. Now I'm waking up in Babylon. I hear different birds singing in the morning. I hear strange voices outside my window. I don't understand the language. I'm really disoriented. This is, this is not Kansas anymore, right? I'm waking up, and uh, for them, all of the things that made life familiar, made life secure, the signs of God's promise and blessing, the temple, the people of God, the history, it's all. just me in a really strange place in a really uncomfortable season of life I'm in exile I don't know what that might be for you but I want to ask you friend where did you wake up this morning where does God find you waking up this morning is it the place you've always been is it the place you thought you'd always want to be or are you in exile Some of us are waking up this morning, we find ourselves in a new job. Some of us are suddenly empty nesters, we've lost a loved one. I I got a phone call, my wife and I, a few months ago, and it was one of our children, and they, you could just tell by the silence and the awkwardness in their voice there was something not right, and they were trying to tell us, and it turns out they were essentially saying, I've hit bottom. And we didn't even know that they were falling. They had hidden this from us, and now we've got a major crisis in our family, and my wife and I are like, this is a new place. There's no map for this. We have no idea. We were even here, and now here we are, and how are we going to move forward? We we are exiles. We are exiles. And maybe you are too. If you are, I want to encourage you this morning because God has some wisdom for you in this letter. So listen, listen. If you've lost a city of some kind, I want you to hear from Jeremiah that all of life is exile. All of life, and this is the deep wisdom of of the scripture, all of life is exile. Now, why do I say that? Well, in verse 10, if you're still looking at the text, you'll see that uh, the Lord, uh, Jeremiah says it's going to be 70 years. 70 years. Now, that historical exile was different lengths for different people, and it wasn't exactly 70 years for some 50, 60, 64. It was different. Why would Jeremiah say it's 70 years? Well, seven is the Hebrew number for completeness meaning everything. And 70 was the Hebrew metaphor for a lifespan. What he's saying is, you're going to Babylon, and contrary to what everybody else is saying about getting home soon, this is the rest of your life. This is your future. This is everything for you. There's no going back. And I know if you're in exile this morning, you're going, this is not good news for me. I do have some good news for you. Hang on there. Hang on there. Right? Listen to this, though. In Psalm 90, verse verse 10 in King James says, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's the Bible telling you, yeah, for us, 70 years is a lifetime. And here's the thing. You and I constantly are losing our place at home, right? I mean, change is just the reality. An organism that doesn't change is an organism that is dead, right? right? Change is hard. They say nobody likes change except a baby, and even it cries. But change is necessary for life, and you keep losing your place. You keep losing your city from the moment that you're born. They snatch you from the best of all possible worlds, your mother's womb, right? And they pull you out, and you're crying, oh, this is my future, and you cry. And if you don't cry, your mom and dad are worried, right? There's something going on here that's wrong. It's not good. Slap that baby another time. Let's get some oxygen in there. They're going, this is the way they greet me? 
And then we do circumcision, which is a whole other conversation that we're not going to get into. <laughs> I'm sorry. So how was your first and last time at New Beginnings Church? This has really been fun. Thank you. <laughs> um, we, lose, we lose the womb. We lose our innocence. Somewhere along the way, many of us will lose our faith. We lose our health. We will lose our memory, some of us. We will one day all lose our strength. Life is exile. And yet we have a God who says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a future. Look, it's not always bad to be in exile. Actually, change is not always bad if you, if you think about it. That moment you leave home to go away to school, you're in exile. But it's a wonderful thing to leave and, and, to, and to get an education. That moment when you put Junior on the bus and it's his first day of kindergarten, you're going to just cry your heart out, but it's what you wanted. That moment, Dad, when you walk your daughter down this aisle to give her in marriage, it's what you prayed for for 18, 20, 40 years. I don't know. You prayed for it. And, and, and at that moment... God has answered your prayer and you're going to go home to that empty house and just cry and cry and cry because you've lost your place or you've lost you know, the home in which you had your place. You see, you're in exile. And it's a good thing at that time, but it's a hard thing. Here's the wisdom of the text. Jeremiah is writing to say, you know what, I get it. I know, I know where you are, but you know what? Resist the temptation to go back. There is no going back. The only way out is through. The only way home is forward. You get it? You see what he's saying? Because there's just this thing, it's this human nature, I call it the resist to return. You know, the good old days. By the way, the good old days were never so good, let's be honest. Nostalgia has a way of filtering. We go right to the good times, we can't even remember any of the hard times. That was really hard. By the way, if this is a hard time to you, someday you'll be looking back on today going, man, that was awesome back there in 2019 in July, 28th was just the best, you know, like you're not saying so now. You can't go back. And the Lord's saying, I'm, I'm not here to give you a past. The past is great, but I'm here to give you a future. A future. That's why you're here this morning. Someone's got you here this morning. The Lord has got you here this morning because you need to know he's got for you a future. And I want you to see who's driving this thing. Because there's a surprise in the text, in the letter. There's a gift to be received here. I'm an English major, so you'll forgive me. But there are a number of verbs in the letter. And the subjects of those verbs is quite a surprise. It's I. It's the Lord speaking. It says, I. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 14. I sent you. I drove you. I sent you. The NIV says verse 14. I carried you into exile. Oh, Really? Because I thought I was born here. Really? No. Because I thought I was transferred here by my company. No. Because I thought I came here for a job. No. The Lord said, I carried you here. I drove you here. I've got you here. And I have never left you. I'm with you in exile. We are together in exile. That's why he says, I have a, a plan. I have a future. Right? 
Oh my gosh. There's no way back, but there's one who knows the future and he's right here with you. And we have to hear this because uh, today our culture is experiencing exile and our culture doesn't know what to do with exile. Like us, they've got the the, the reflex to return. But you look at Charlottesville and you go, that's not home. That's not home for me. That's not the past I wanted. That's not the future I wanted. That's not the, that doesn't look at all like a place of security or comfort or welfare. That's not home. So, you know, the culture is in exile right now. And, and this is, I want to be honest with you, I'm supposed to be honest in this pulpit, our churches are in exile now too. Our church has lost its place at home in the culture. And we have to admit that. We have to say that is the truth of us. We used to have a voice in the culture, but now uh, we feel mute. We used to have a place at the center of culture, and now we feel we've been pushed to the margins. We have in many ways compromised our witness to Jesus Christ, and the culture has noticed. And so we're exiles. We're exiles. But Jesus is the one carrying us. Jesus is the one who's with us. Let me tell you this. This is so helpful. When the text says, if you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. The text is telling you why you're in exile. You're in exile so that you can find the Lord. Did you hear that? That's why you're, you're here, so that you can find the Lord. The Lord wants to be known by you. He, he wants to, you, you to know that he's the one who's driving you, sending you, carrying you. He, he says, you, you're going to start looking for me, and you're going to find me. That's the purpose of this. In other words, what you were looking for in Jerusalem, you will not find until you get to Babylon. You're looking for God. And and, and the irony is, you couldn't quite find God in Jerusalem, but you can find him in Babylon. And sometimes it's not until exile and everything else is stripped away from us that we realize all that we have and all that we need to have is in Jesus Christ. Home is not a place. Home is a person. Home is a person. Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. That means make your residence in me. Make your home in me. I'm making my home in you. That's what this is about. That's why you were born. God is a lot of the, time, a lot of the times and places of our habituation that we might grope for him and that we might someday find him for he is near to each of us. In him we live and move and have our being. He wants to be known by you. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. You are citizens of heaven. My grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's when you're lost that you're found. The cross of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead tells us that we have a God who is not trying to lead us around suffering but through it. Who's not trying to help us avoid death but overcome it. (laughs) That's what we've got. That's who we are because that's who he is. So let's go forward. Exile, where's your home? Exile, where's your home? Exile, where's your home? Exile, where's your home? Yes, yes, let's go forward. But what does that mean? But how do we do that? 
I've said you lost a city, but let me answer that question. What people who go forward do as exiles is they build a city. You've lost a city to build a city. Verse 7 says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now, I love to listen to your messages on the web. And if Pastor Herman were up here, when he read that, he would say, seek the welfare of the city. And then he'd say, say city. (laughs) Right? I can't pull that off, but that's what he would do. He'd say, say city. So can I do it? Can I try it? Say city. City. That's it. (laughs) Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. This is what exiles do. They build a city. So he's saying, look, I want you to embrace your exile status. Yes, you've lost your home, and this is not your home, but it is your mission field. This is your mission field. This city, the Bay Area, and the cities of the the Bay Area, this is your mission field. Build the city. Build the city. Build the city. Verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives. Now, before this excites you, it should trouble you. It should disturb you. You're like, this city is tough. This is a tough city. I'm not sure I want to contribute to that. But remember what it would have been like to have been in Israel in Babylon. I mean, Babylon? You're like, build Babylon? How could, we, how could we do that? These are the people that are killing our folks back home. These are our enemies. This is like the Death Star. We can't build the Death Star. And Jeremiah goes, build it. The Lord says, build it. Because God is building a city. God is building a city inside of a city. This is his project, not ours, and he sent us for it. See, you and I tend to have a bias against the city. Uh, We tend to see it as a place that's sort of overridden with crime and overcrowding, immorality, corporate greed. This is kind of the way we see the city. Jesus says, you know, you're supposed to be poor in spirit. Tim Keller says, we're more middle class in spirit in America. And, and if you do read, you know, if you read the Bible, you see it's a story of one city to the next, and, it's, and they do get worse. I mean, from the very beginning, we have the city of Enoch, the, the avenger of Cain, and seven times 70, the city of Enoch is associated with revenge, vengeance, and the city of Babel then is associated with humanism to make a name for herself, and Sodom and Gomorrah is synonymous with uh, sexual immorality, and Pithom and Ramses are the two cities of Egypt, and uh, symbolize slavery, and Nineveh, Babylon, Rome, on it goes, but look. God is building a new city inside of the dying city. There's resurrection in our cities. This is what uh, Dr. Meredith Klein writes, the great Old Testament scholar. He says, the city is not to be regarded as an evil invention of ungodly fallen man. No. The ultimate goal set before humanity at the very beginning was that human culture should take city form. There should be an urban structuring of human historical existence. The cultural mandate given at creation was a mandate to build the city. What he's saying is, the Bible begins in a garden, but it ends in a, have you read the Bible? Just jump to the end, spoiler alert. (laughs) Revelations 21 and 22, and I beheld a city coming from heaven, the heavenly new Jerusalem. This is our future, it's urban. We're heading to the city. God is building a city, and we get to be his builders. So you have a mission, and it's a mission that exiles are uniquely qualified and equipped for because the city will never change without people who are not going backwards but forwards, with people who do not find their strength in power but in weakness. 
for people who do not find their place here, but ultimately have lost it and found their home in Jesus Christ. If that's you, your city needs you. And Jesus has sent you. God's looking for exiles to build a new city. Thirdly, let me, let me move to my third point. You've lost a city to build a city. And the question you want to ask is, how do you do that, George? And the answer is, by blessing a city. By blessing a city. That, that, that's what Jeremiah is saying. That's what the Lord is saying in this letter. Would you bless the city? Verse 7, would you pray to the Lord on the city's behalf? It's a practice, isn't it? It's very practical. Would you pray to the Lord on the city's behalf? By the way, this is the ministry of Abraham. Remember we said way back when, that 2,000 years ago, the Lord blessed Abraham to bless all the nations. And so we're just continuing that. But we're now going to bless our city. And if you ask, well, what does that look like? I want to give you two parts to the blessing. And the first is identification, and the second is peacemaking. So write those down if you're taking notes, please. Identification and peacemaking. First, identification. Notice that the Lord says, pray to the Lord on the city's behalf. And the word behalf is an old English word meaning at the side of. Pray for the city at the side. Not from a distance. Not that city over there. Remember Jonah of Nineveh? <laughs> I don't think his, he was praying for blessing either. But, yeah, but we're, we're, to, we're to come into the city and pray alongside of the city. Pray as one of the city. Pray in the shoes of those who are in the city. Pray on its behalf. In its place, the Hebrew could be translated. Identify with the city. We see in verse 7, this identification continues. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that's saying, you know, you can't, there's none of this, that's eh, not my problem. That's urban blight. In, your, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's your problem. Identification. Now, this is what Solomon is getting at in Proverbs 11.10. This is a wonderful passage. Proverbs 11.10 says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Now, why would that be? When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. The reason that's true is because the righteous are those who identify with the city. See, so that the city's hurts are their hurts. And it drives them to action. And their opportunities become the city's opportunities. Now, I grew up in this area, so I know a little bit about Silicon Valley, and I know that a lot of us moved to Silicon Valley for economic uh, reasons. We actually want to prosper ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you come to Silicon Valley to prosper at the expense of Silicon Valley, you will not fit this definition of a righteous person. So a righteous person is somebody who comes to Silicon Valley to prosper themselves and the city with them. See that? They identify with the city. They bring their gifts and their resources to bear on the gifts and resources of the city, and they will not be satisfied until all experience welfare, the peace, the shalom of God in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a righteous person. All right? Now, there's another uh, verse here in in Proverbs 11. uh, Verse 11, the next verse in the couplet says this. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. There it is again, blessing. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Now, what's going on here? Well, to bless means to will and to work for the benefit of another in the power of God. It's not just a response to a sneeze, is it? It's to will and to work for the benefit of another in the power of God. 
So uh, this leads us to peacemaking, which is the second half of, of blessing, peacemaking. The word welfare means peace, it means shalom. And it's not just the absence of violence, it's, it's wholeness. Shalom shows up in, in the very beginning of the Bible, and it's the world the way it's supposed to be. That's what shalom is, thriving, flourishing, health and joy and laughter. That's, that's all that is, shalom. Dr. King said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it's the presence of justice. That's Dr. King. I love that. I also like this. Uh, Scott Peck wrote, you know the old book, The Road Less Traveled? He says, wellness, some of you are physicians, right, or nurses, wellness is not the absence of a disease, but an organism's ability to heal itself. Wow. Think about this for a second. If you're healthy today, right now, it's not because there's no disease around you or even inside of you, because there is. We've got microorganisms and bacteria of all sorts that are inside of us. If you're healthy, it's because you have an immune system. Because you've got some kind of mechanism inside of you that identifies the toxins and absorbs them and incorporates them and transforms them. Now, isn't it interesting to think about this? What if we were the immune system of the city? What if the followers of Jesus Christ were those people who saw the toxins and went towards them to absorb them and incorporate them and transform them because we elevate them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what God does in Jesus Christ. He transformed. Behold, I make all things new, he says. That's our calling. That's our gift to the city. Identification and peacemaking. Let me give you a little bit of an assignment this week. I'm going to try and make this real practical. So the, the word I want you to leave with today is the word bless. And it's an acronym. It's going to remind you. Uh, bless. Remember, it's to will and to work for the benefit of another and the power of God. But if you want to be a person who blesses your city, here's what it looks like. First, be bond. Bond with the city. I want you to identify a part of, of the city where you live and, or work, and you say, this is my part. I'm, its hurts will be my hurts. Its joys will be my joys. This is, and I don't. It might be. It might be uh, Henry Ford School. I just love this transforming communities value that you guys are bringing to the table. We need that. And maybe you're saying, "Hey, luck. That's Henry Ford School is going to be my my neighborhood. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's where you work. The building that you're in. The office suite. Maybe it's the playground where you gather with other parents. I don't know what it is, but you you need to ask the Lord. What's my part of of this city? And then you say, "This is ours." Bond with it. Okay, L, listen. It's my contention that the follower of Jesus Christ need to spend a lot more time, uh, a lot less time speaking and a lot more time listening. Especially as the culture is changing, we need to listen. And, And let's do that in the city. Let's ask our neighbors, who are you? What's life like for you? What what are your strengths? What are your fears? What are your dreams? Let's listen. And then E, elevate. Having heard those things, let's take them to the Lord. Let's bow our hearts and and knees before our Savior and elevate those problems, elevate those opportunities to the Lord in prayer. First S, serve. Pastor Aaron has taught me we're, we're called by Jesus not to be people of the cloth, but people of the towel, to wash people's feet, to serve. We are a servant people. 
And so we're here to build as servants would build, to engage in the work of building as servants. And then final S is speak, because you can't bless someone without ultimately speaking and letting them know where the blessing comes from, Jesus Christ. So we want to speak our Lord's promise over the city. Just as we have heard him speaking his promise to us today, we want to be able to declare that's true for our city as well. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future, says the Lord. That's our city. Oh, it's been so good to be here. I don't want to relinquish the pulpit. I, I want to just remind you. you. I know you guys have other things to do today. Look, listen. You have lost a city to build a city by blessing a city. That's where we've gone this morning. And, I, and I, before I do go, I want to give you just a couple quick examples of that so you can see what that looks like. It's, it, it, it happens. It's happening. It's happening here, I believe. But let one of our examples be Daniel because Daniel built a city. He built Babylon. Remember Daniel in the lion's den, that story? Daniel was in that first group of the 10,000, the elites that were taken. To, he woke up in Babylon just that time. And he was in exile. And what did he do? You know, a lot of scholars think he actually read this letter that Jeremiah, because he did what the letter said. He moved towards the city. He, he built, he laid down roots and he blessed the city. He, he was one of the wisest people, he was one of the wise men of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar calls the wise men together. You know, who's, you know who he's calling? He's calling sorcerers and people who have studied the dark arts. And this gives me the creeps. And I don't know how you do this today, working through the ethical challenges of being in the world but not of the world in your job and city. But Daniel figured it out. He found a way to be faithful as a citizen of heaven, even as he worked and served a city that was oftentimes a dangerous place. He mastered the dark arts in order to give witness to the Lord in the hallways of power. God bless you as you do that. But Daniel was building a city. And then the other example is the Harlem Renaissance. And I don't know if you know this story, but I hope you'll get to know it if you don't. In, in the Harlem Renaissance uh, was building a city in New York City. In the, in the time period of the 1920s and the 30s, there was what we call the Great Migration. African Americans who were exiles, as you know, uh, suffering under Jim Crow laws, fled the South. And they went north into some of the great cities of the North, Detroit, Chicago, in this case, New York City. And they, they, they stayed. They built. Built a city, built a culture, uh, we know some of their names. Many of their names we don't know, but let me just read some of them too. James Weldon Johnson, Paul Robeson, Lady Billie Holiday, Alan Leroy Locke, Marcus Garvey, Zora Neale Hurston, Duke Ellington, we, know, is it, we all know, uh, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, Louis Armstrong, Langston Hughes. Oh my gosh, think, and they were all rooted in the gospel, in the, in, in the church of Jesus Christ in New York City. Did you know that? The Harlem Renaissance comes out of the gospel. Jazz, blues, poetry, theater, fiction, philosophy, politics, it all comes from the black church in the 1930s. We can't imagine life today without the, the cultural deliverances of these people who built a counterculture in the city. And they changed the world. Have you heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and he came for theological education from Germany. He was rather disappointed when he got to New York City Union Seminary. He would write back, they have no theology here. (laughs) It's like, there's nothing for me here. Until one day, he meets a classmate, an African-American named Albert Fisher, who says, Dietrich, why don't you come back to church with me? 
and worship. And Albert Fisher worshiped at Abyssinia Baptist Church in Harlem. And this, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer would never look back. See, I met not only, I met not only the Harlem Renaissance, I met Jesus himself in the midst of this community. Reggie Williams writes an article in which he says, but prior to that Abyssinia Baptist Church experience, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was on the edge as far as his allegiance to to the German nationalism. In fact, he cites a a sermon in Spain that Bonhoeffer gave where you can kind of hear the overtones of racism that uh, became very loud in the Third Reich uh, Nazism. But, But after Abyssinia Baptist Church, he was a different man. Williams writes, he came into contact with a tradition that recognized Jesus as active and present in the daily lives of marginalized people, identifying with suffering and shame as a redemptive presence in oppression, as a redemptive presence in oppression. It's what we need today. It's what Charlottesville needs today. People who identify with the city and pursue peace. We can do it because God is the one doing it. He's in our midst. He's carrying us. Jesus has already done it, by the way. He's done it for us, for you, for the Bay Area. Jesus is an exile. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus is an exile. He was an exile birth. He had to go to Egypt. He was on the run. He was an exile at the end of his life on the cross. He went, he descended into hell, the creed tells us, before rising again on the third day. We have an exile God. The Son of God lost his place at home with his Father so that we will never lose our place in the Father's love. You get that? That's what the gospel is all about. The Son of God left home. He lost his place so that we will always have a home in God's heart. It's his exile that saves exiles. Let me finally just let you know that in the early church, the first followers of Jesus made their biggest impact on the city. Do you know that the word pagan doesn't mean unbeliever? It means farmer. The word paganus meant someone who lived in the outlying rural areas. But it became associated with unbeliever because so many people in the cities believed By AD 300, 300 years after Jesus rose from the dead, 90% of the countryside was pagan, but 50% of urban populations were Christian. Half of the cities had come to believe in Jesus. It's almost like God's got a plan. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wow, maybe we didn't know that you would have something special for each of us in the mystery of God, you translate our words, your word, into something that resonates deep in our spirit. We want to cherish that gift today. We want to open ourselves up and be blessed by Jesus. Would you, would you allow that to happen? And, and then we also want to go from this place like Abraham went, blessed to be a blessing. We pray that you will pour out the blessings of heaven upon Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, and the cities it represents, and that we will get to be a part of what you are building right here, right now, for we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.